Hello, it's Shahid here. Our award show is open and the next deadline is the 11th of March. The following podcast contains stories of violence, racism, homophobia and Islamophobia. So if any of these subjects are likely to cause you any distress, please do turn this off right now. I've got to say this was one of the most mind-blowing podcasts I've ever done. And if you are able to listen to this episode, please find a place where you can hear it in one go and do stay till the end because I promise you it will be worth it. And if you have a story that you'd like to share on a future Creative Floor podcast, please do get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Enjoy. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Creative Floor podcast. We are very delighted today to be talking to a creative copywriter, Aisha Razak. Hello, Aisha. Hi there. How are you doing? All right. It's, um, it's a bit cold at the moment, but apart from that, okay. Are you cold? I'm actually really toasty, probably because my partner keeps blasting the heating on. Well, at least you can at least you can top up your your brownness. I'm I'm getting whiter by the day. It's so cold. Well, thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us. This is season four of our podcast. I sort of realised over the last three seasons, we always tend to get some pretty heavyweight guests on our podcasts, and I, I don't mean in size, but obviously in their title, you know. But <laughs> but this podcast is open for anyone to share their stories and most stories have tons of tons of learnings and gold nuggets that our audience enjoy and and pick up just was so chuffed when I got in touch with you because we met about a couple of months ago we had a really fantastic conversation and I just found you deeply deeply interesting obviously you're you know from an Asian background like myself you're female not like myself but you're creative you're a writer I think we should be advocating more more women you know less underrepresented communities to use this platform to just share their experience and hopefully that experience will resonate with more people trying to get into this industry and any learnings that you had um, and still having, you know, would be really insightful for everyone out there. So is that all okay, Aisha? Is that yeah, okay if we kind of go into your mind? <laughs> <laughs> you, you're able to share your journey with us? Yeah, definitely. Um, Let's start as far back as you want to go. Oh, God. Um, so I was born and raised in Yorkshire, um, a little place called, known as Bradistan to the Asian community. Um, Bradistan. Exactly. See, you knew that straight away. <laughs> Um, um, so, that's a pun on Pakistan for uh, anyone who is out of the UK who won't get that um, it is it really is uh, so yeah for my sins I was born and raised there um, and I don't have the accent which really throws people off um, so yeah how, did you ever have the accent I did but it just faded away. My siblings still have it. So whenever I spend far too much time with them, I come back really northern. Uh, it's really bizarre. Yeah, very odd. Um, so, yeah, I was born and raised there. Um, and then my family relocated to the Midlands. And um, I was 15 at the time. I didn't have a clue what I'd be studying. Um, you know, my parents split up. Um, and... It was a fun time for me because I was exploring a lot of things. I was using kind of religion as a tool to kind of cope with things that were going on at home. It was, I think it was a reawakening. Um, I mean, I'm not religious now, but I think that really helped me at the time for what I was going through. 
So it was interesting. Um, but yeah, a few years later, I went to university, um, which to my parents' disappointment, it wasn't to study, you know, medicine, uh, law or engineering. I studied English. Oh, dear. I know. Oh, God, what a loser. God, wow. <laughs> so yeah i disappointed them and even my mom still tried me like change become a pharmacist well, i don't want to become a pharmacist <laughs> not a, no well we're, we're coming from similar backgrounds so you don't have to explain it to me but just explain maybe a little bit for people who what is the obsession with the asian community and going into 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 medicine i think it's just so I know this is going to sound really silly, but I think it's so your parents can go around saying, my daughter's a doctor, my daughter does this. Um, it's just something to be proud of. And, you know, um, when I said I wanted to study English and media, you know, my mom's face was like a slapped bottom. Um, she was not impressed. She was like, you know, if this is what you want to do, I'm not going to stop you. But she did try it. She was like, okay, you can become a teacher instead. I'm like, I don't want to teach kids. I don't want to do this. I want to write. Um, but I think it is the whole, you know, telling your family this, that you're, you're, it's something to be proud of. Like my dad, um, his, his, my, my um, step-siblings, one of them wants to study medicine. My dad's so proud. And when I visit my father, he's still got the shop and the house that we were raised in. And sometimes it's quite it's quite nostalgic because I'll see customers that I remember seeing, being around when I was a kid. And they'll be like, oh, you know, it's been like 20 odd years since I last saw you. Uh, what are you doing? And, you know, I remember this one occasion, this woman said, oh, you know, uh, you should be really proud of your daughter. And my dad, my dad's like, yeah, well, it's not medicine. <laughs> And I was wow. just really gutted. Yeah. I was like, that's really brutal. But yeah, it's just, it's it's a fascination. It is an obsession. I don't, I can't really put my finger on it's it. It's a status. It's, there's like a status, yeah. like a hierarchy, I guess, isn't there? And uh, yeah, doctors seem, tend to just be at the very top, I guess. <laughs> yeah, either med yeah. Med medicine or having a PhD. Um, a friend, a, very, a childhood friend of mine, um, when her siblings, when her sibling got married, they put every single letter uh, around their degree, PhD, MA, whatever they studied. And so it was really bizarre to see the economy. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is a status thing, definitely a status thing that, you know, we're far more educated uh, than you people, you peasants. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I said, wait, so where did you do English? Where did you study? Um, it was just in Nottingham, uh, Nottingham Trent. So oh, yeah. I studied at home um, and it was fine. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I really, really loved the course that I did. I love reading. I love writing. And then, you know, once I finished my degree, um, sorry, let me give you a bit of background. I was veiled and I was wearing the traditional like kind of Muslim uh, dress, the known as the abaya. Um so I was full out kitted um, as a Muslim, but to most people, it looks like a terrorist. That's not how terrorists dress, just so you know. Um, so, I know. <laughs> I know you know. Not many people do. Um, but people yeah. would be really reluctant to talk to me at uni because of the way I was dressed. It was very bizarre, especially. Um, what, what, what year is this, um, Aisha? What, what, what year are we talking roughly? Is this post 9 11? Yeah. Uh, 2005 to 2008 so post 9-11 okay 
Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I, I basically took a year out, um, saved some money. I wanted to do a journalism course, so NCTJ, uh, newspaper journalism. So I was saving up for that. Um, I had met my first partner online. She was Egyptian. And shortly after that, uh, a few years down the line, I went to Egypt. Uh, I managed to gain some contacts uh, for newspapers. And I basically relocated out there. Uh, my family wasn't happy. You know, they wanted me to have a husband because it was un-Islamic and haram is forbidden um, in Arabic. Um, so they were saying that it's forbidden for me to travel alone as a single woman. But I did it anyway. Um, you know, my parents aren't religious. My family's not religious, but they like to pull the religion card when it suits them. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> they thought you were just going there for work. And it was just the prospect of you going alone was was their issue. It was going alone. It was in case, you know, I met someone, in case someone took advantage of me. I was like, I'm pretty strong-willed. I'm strong-minded. I'm not going to do that. Um, but obviously I hid my uh, sexual identity from them. Uh, they didn't know that, you know, um, I'm a secret lesbian, uh, under all that Islamic clothing. <laughs> so yeah. It, yeah, it was a bit of an interesting journey to begin with. Out of, out of interest then. So you, you met, um, your, your partner in Egypt, where did you meet them? I met them actually on a forum. So a chat site, um, I think, I don't even know if it exists. I don't know if anybody remembers ICQ. <laughs> it was a chat forum. They had different categories. It wasn't just for meeting people. So they had like creative stuff on the, um, different rooms. Um, so it wasn't all, you know, um, it wasn't specifically a lesbian dating site. Okay, wasn't there wasn't like a Muslim lesbian group no. that you just sort of connected no. to? Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so everyone's got their pseudonym and they just randomly chat to each other. Wow. Okay. Cool. Oh, wow. So you so you get so you go to Egypt. Yeah, I go to Egypt. I did a TEFL first, and then I'm um, I moved out there. And my my partner at the time, she kind of helped me kind of like locate a flat. And the flat where I was living was horrible. <laughs> um, it was okay. I, I've got a phobia for a lot of things, reptiles, um, and there was a lot of geckos. Uh, I hate geckos. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> they terrify me. The way they move. So this flat, every time I would go into a room, I'd notice that something there. So I'd constantly block these places so that so that they wouldn't come in. So yeah, uh, I ended up moving, thank God, and like moving closer to like um, one of the cities in Cairo. And it was a lot more hustle and bustle. There were, but the thing that frightened me the most is I where I was living in my second flat. Um, the the Arab Springs happened. That's where it started. So I was living in a place in called Abasaya. And that I could hear chanting and I thought, oh, you know, um, maybe it's the call to prayer. I just didn't really hear it. It's like a distant shouting. And then banging on my door on a Saturday and I thought, what the hell? And it was my partner um, and her sister. They didn't know that we were dating, by the way, but I became close friends with the family. 
they're like get your passport get your handbag get whatever you can carry you're staying with us i'm like what the hell's going on and she said there's a protest they're trying to overthrow mubarak and i was like what okay um she was like, just get everything. It's not safe for you to be here. I was like, why? She's like, because they're hunting journalists. And at the time, I was uh, just recently qualified as a journalist. So I thought, oh, this is great. I can go get a story. They were like, no, <laughs> sit your backside here. Um, don't speak Arabic. You haven't got a clue. Just stay with us. So we were just watching the news, and it was just horrifying. You know, my, my ex's um, parents were really emotional on the phone, checking in with families. Is everybody Okay. Because everybody was just fed, fed up of the regime. 30 odd years he was in power. They were sick of him, you know, just running the country dry financially. And it was scary. It was a very scary time. Um, and I was, I think I was forced to call my family. And um, my mom saw the news, my brother saw the news. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, they kind of like just tried to get me a flight out of there. So I ha- I was working at an advertising agency at the time. I even messaged my uh, CEO and I just told him that, look, it's not safe for me to be here. I need to go back to the country, uh, go back to England. And when things, you know, pick up and get become a bit more safe, I'll come back. Um, I did. It was, I just had a handbag. I just had my handbag with my passport in it and my laptop. That's all I had and the clothes that I had on. <laughs> Um, all my, all my clothes were in my flat. Um, and then when I hit Heathrow, BBC were interviewing people. And I remember it having an interview with BBC. Um, and it was just really tense. It was just all very emotional. It was it everything, you know, we were seeing people like with swords r- running around the streets, people with guns on the streets from the balcony. So it was all really alarming. Even outside the airport, there were people just trying to flee. It was a really unusual thing to see. Wow. My God. So were you, So when you came back, you were still veiled? You were still in the abaya? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. okay. Yeah, uh, wow. I was, and then um, I did, uh, before I went back, I did decide to take it off. Uh, take the abaya off, but keep the veil on. Uh, so the dress, I took off the dress, and I was like, okay, this, they're going to think I'm undercover, an undercover spy or agent, um, spy or journalist, because that's what they were thinking, that all, you know, anyone yeah. speaking English is probably a spy. Um, so I thought, okay, let me, let me just be me um, and see where this goes. So it was, it was an intense period because, you know, I was back in England. I was bored out of my brains. I wanted to be back at the uh, the, the agency. Um, but I was working from home anyway. So they would frequently send me emails saying, look, can you, can you copy edit this? Can you proof this? What do you think of this headline? Can you, you know, judge it up? Um, so I was keeping myself busy. And I think my family was relieved. My mum was like trying to hide my past, but you're not going back. Um, <laughs> Told you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and so you left your partner, your, you left your partner in Egypt. Yeah. Did they manage to get out? Okay. Um, she was fine. 
Okay, cool. So, the, so, you, so you made it back yeah, alive, back thank alive. God. I know. But, um, You're back home with your parents now in, in the Midlands. Yes, is that right? I was at the time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was back in the Midlands with my mum and my younger sister. Um, and I managed to, it was, it was a nice period, intense, because my mum, um, my mum questioned my sexuality and it was really weird. Um, what did you think she suspected something? I don't know if she did suspect something and I don't know what brought it on because my, my younger sister, um, gave birth to her, her son. And so we were on different shifts. So I would wake up in the, in the night to help my little sister with the baby. And mum would take like the morning shift to help her. So I remember being woken up about four or five in the morning. And um, my mum's just sat there in the dark and like the curtain slightly open. So you've got the moon kind of shining a light on her in a really ominous way. <laughs> I, I, like I did get scared. I just sat up in bed when I saw her. She was like, I need to ask you something. I'm like, what? So is there something going on with you? And then she named my partner, uh, ex-partner. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, your sister, your your other sister said you're a lesbian. And she whispered lesbian. I don't know why. Um, and I was like, don't be silly. Can I go back to sleep now? And my heart was just racing. I thought, oh, God, I'm busted. Did you tell your sister or was your sister um, just no, guessing sister as well? No, my sister was guessing. I didn't trust my family because, you know, there were times where, like, we, the whole of my siblings were a – banter ridden uh bunch so we will absolutely lay things out on the floor we will say really cruel things to each other but in banter in a kind of banterous kind of way um so they would often joke that i'm gay because i was sporty or because i was you know constantly in my cappers uh kappa trackies when i was younger so the telltale signs were there and they weren't wrong um obviously i didn't admit to it so, yeah, she was just putting ideas in my mum's head. So after that, my mum would just constantly, like, oh, I know this handsome, young, bearded Muslim man. He's a pharmacist. I'm like, what is your obsession with these bloody pharmacists? <laughs> Should she just be hanging out in boots more, Aisha? That's, that's the thing. <laughs> I, know, I know. I do prefer the Lloyd's Pharmacy. <laughs> Oh yeah, well yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. So okay. So now that you, I guess you're at this moment now where your family is starting to approach you and suspect. Um, Just a lot of marriage talk. A lot. Yeah. Um. How old are you at this point? How old are you? Oh, twenty-five. Okay. So okay. So that's it's still relatively young. Yeah. Um, but the expectation was for you to get married. Yeah, round about that sort of like, age. Yeah, they expect you to get married as soon as you graduate, like uh, as you're, you know, in your gown. <laughs> you know, the husband's waiting for you at home to celebrate <laughs> the graduation and everything. That's what they expect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, they were just uh, like my when my cousins found out that I was back in Nottingham, they would frequently visit my mum. Oh, you know, you, you you'd make a perfect wife because you can cook. And I'm like. If that's the bar, it's really low. <laughs> like, what, what can he bring to the table? Oh, well, you know, he'll, yeah. he'll be the breadwinner. I'm like, no, I want to be the breadwinner. I've got a career. I've got aspirations. I don't want someone providing for me. So I would constantly turn these like, silly conversations away. Um, but my mum was just, my mum was really hardcore, really hardcore. 
uh, I think while I was visiting, um, my mum went to Birmingham for a shopping trip, as as Asian mothers do, and uh, she went with her friends. She didn't tell myself or my younger sister where she was going. We're like, okay, fine, you know, it's mum. She's an adult. It's fine, and. Then she sat me down when she came back around like 8 p.m. And she was like, oh, I need to have a word with you. I was like, well, there was this really handsome boy that I met. I'm like, who are you meeting? I thought you went shopping. And she says, oh, you know, I was with uh, Auntie Rohana. Um, and she took me to one of her friend's house. They were having an engagement party, which she gate crashed. I was like, typical. Um, and um, the boy over there, his name is Wasim. I was like, okay, good for Wasim. What, what, where's this story going? Um, and she says, oh, you know, I could. He had a Superman T-shirt, so I was obsessed with Superman at the time. I just love the branding. Uh, <laughs> All right. This was my mum's like selling point. Um, so she yeah. was like, you know, he was wearing a Superman T-shirt. He was really tall, really broad shoulders. I was like, do you want to marry him? Um, and, you know, I'm happy for you. This is what you want. You can find yourself a toy boy. Great mom. She's like, you know, don't be stupid. Don't be disrespectful. And she says, you know, all I could think about is how how handsome he is and how good he would look standing next to me. I was like, why would he be standing next to me as your husband? I was like, oh my god, why? And she didn't talk. She gave me the silent treatment for uh, three days. To the point that, as you know, it was longer, a week. She told my cousins, she told my brother, his wife, uh, they were begging me to go to Birmingham to see him. Uh, and I just planned a trip and went away with my friends. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So my mum does shady things like this. So then you escaped. So you escaped the clutches from your mum. Exactly. Well, I got back. <laughs> and Wasim. Oh, I know. Wasim in his <laughs> Tight fitted Superman t shirt. So you never you never actually got to meet him? No, but she was just, she even got her and my dad had not, you know, it wasn't an amicable divorce. They were quite bitter with each other. Um, she even somehow got my dad to call me on my way home from my brothers or something saying, you know, uh, I think your you know, your mum wants to talk to you. I'm like, when have you ever advocated for mum? Why are you being so nice? This is really odd. And then I got a text from my sister, like, they're, they're trying to set you up with someone. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, so oh, um, I managed to escape that. Um, and I went straight back to Egypt. Um, it was, yeah, it was a good time. Uh, I'm, you know, because of the revolution, um, my, my partner had to pack my stuff and, you know, grab my suitcases and stuff and just move me uh, out of the apartment. Um, at the time so I moved into a new place closer to where she lived uh, closer to where I was working so it wasn't too much of a trek because the commute is horrible the traffic is horrible in Cairo if you've ever been so if you're not staying in the hotel the Marriott by the Nile going out of there is is a mess uh, to commute so I was back in Egypt I was um, back in the creative team and I absolutely love my CEO. He was such a humble guy. He was absolutely minted because, you know, he'd come every every three months, he would change his car 
and he's Harley Davidson. He had a massive obsession with Harley Davidsons. Um, and so you'd see them parked in the villa and they were just stunning. So you couldn't help but take a picture or just pose by it. Like once he almost caught me sitting on it, I was like, it's so comfy. He's like, yeah, it is. Now get your ass off. Um, so yeah he was an absolute stand-up guy he knew that I wanted to write so even though his company needed a copy editor that's how I got into advertising he would constantly send me like personal projects uh, can you help me with this invite can you help me with this I've got a business meeting with this company um can you help uh, the team on this um so I was kind of like a a prized possession because I was a native Brit um, so anytime he wanted something proofing and I would be in the studios doing voiceovers, writing jingles, writing the scripts, I was constant. And we had everything in-house. We had the printing team in-house, um, PR company in-house, everything was in-house and our like medical team was massive. So often enough, you'd have a pharmacist or a doctor briefing you on what the actual therapy area is. And then, you you know, you can ask them as much as you want. Often enough, they would, like, give you a printout. It was really nicely done. Um, I, like, we, we all got on so well. Um, and we had a shisha cafe in the office, can you believe? What? Yeah. <laughs> we had a cafe. Did you? Yeah. We had a shisha cafe. I didn't know about it until really late into the year. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I like I would just DOS from there. I would just take my laptop out there. I would make the shishas because the women that would, you know, the uh, the cafe ladies, they didn't know how to make shisha. And I was like, I can do this. And they were like, no, 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 you know, you're a foreigner. It's okay. I was like, no, seriously, I make these at home. It's fine. So, you know, <laughs> do you know how they swing the charcoal uh, ladle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing all that. And my manager came and I nearly dropped it out of shock that he was there. I thought I'd be in trouble. <laughs> And he was like, no, no, proceed. I want shisha. I want grape shisha with apples. <laughs> okay, I'm coming right up. That's a good flavour. Yeah. It is. Very good. <laughs> Out of interest, Egypt and the UK are very different. You know, it's, it's obviously very, it's an Islamic country. Did you feel at home at Egypt more so than you did over here? Yeah, I did. I felt like I wasn't the anomaly. I just blended in. I was one of them because I was Muslim, because I looked the same or similar. Whereas in in England, you know, being uh, being raised here, you're always the different one. I, whether it's because you're a woman, because you're coloured, because you're veiled, because you're not veiled, because your name sounds funny. Um, so yeah, I felt at home. I was really comfortable with the country. Yeah, it's so interesting when you say that. And I got so the, another thing that's just popped into my head. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to. It's interesting now, isn't it? Because the UK obviously is a lot more accepting to different types of, you know, sexuality and all those sorts of things. But, you know, clearly Islamic countries are less so. So how did you, how did you balance that? Because obviously, you, you, you know, you're more at home because in, in Egypt because you're not the odd one out. Yeah. Everyone kind of looks like you. But then you're sort of, you've got this other thing going on in your life as well. Yeah. So it was lucky that I had my own apartment. Obviously, when I'd go see my partner, her place, her mom's there, her dad's there, and her mom was a bit suspicious. Her mom thought something was going on. 
um, because she confided, my, my ex-partner at the time, she confided in a, a relative and her mum kind of cornered this cousin and says, what's going on between them? And she was like, oh, no, I think Aisha likes her. They were like, likes her how? Um, so ever since then, um, like... <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was. Likes. It wasn't. It wasn't easy. <laughs> exactly, uh, likes. Um, it really wasn't easy. But we would have to lie. <sighs> she had the keys to my flat, so often enough, she would be watching films on my laptop or just chilling at my place, playing. I had a cat, so she would be playing with my Persian cat um, in my apartment. So and smoking shisha. Yeah. God, yeah. I'm, I'm, very jealous <laughs> it's just like she's everywhere she's at work she's at home she's exactly. on the waiter home and work did you get to meet more like more muslims in egypt who are also you know lesbians and also kind of like sort of doing it in secret were you aware of, of more people like yourself or were you just contained between you and, and your relationship i was quite contained with myself uh with my relationship simply because i was a foreigner i didn't want to attract any attention because I thought if I start exploring the gay and lesbian culture out here, which is underground, I could potentially get deported and banned from the country, um, especially at that time where the, the military was, um, was looking after the country. There was, you know, Mubarak had been arrested. So, and these, the military, the SCAF, they were really brutal. Um, so I, I just didn't want to risk it. It was too scary. Amazing. So, right, so we're back in Egypt. We're smoking shisha. Uh, back with our partner. Work. Yeah. Doing a lot of creative work. Um, yeah. Then what happens? Um, we, my my CEO, he had a really big project, um, and for some reason, he really wanted me on on the team. So we went through different stages. Um, but I remember my CEO being really happy with my ideas. And he was like, you know, you're coming out of your shell. He says, I put you on this because I wanted you to share your ideas. You know, you're very quiet. You're really nervous. And I know Arabs are super loud, but you really need to voice your opinions. He's like, you just sit in the corner and you come up with great ideas, but you never vocalize them in the meetings. That's why you're here. It's like, okay, cool. And he's like, how does it feel that your idea kind of got pitched and sold? I was like, it feels amazing. Um so it was it was really cool. And as a side um, hustle, I was actually a journalist as well. So I was kind of, um, you know, if there was a protest, I, I was there interviewing people. And I remember this one time that I should have notified my friends. As soon as I finished work, I came out of a briefing meeting and I ran home. Uh, I didn't even run home. I went to kind of like Tahrir Square where, you know, everything was kicking off. Um, and I thought, oh, you know, I've got a story idea. I can interview some people. And I was talking to a few people. And my my partner at the time called me, like, asking me where I was and if I had any dinner plans. And I was like, ah. Um, she was like, I can hear chanting. Where the hell are you? Um, I was like, I'm in, I'm in the square. Uh, she was not happy with me because she had already seen on the news um, that violence had broken out there. But it looked really calm because I was there. I thought, oh, maybe it's happening on the other side of the bridge. I don't know where this is happening, but it's not, you know, it's quite chill here. Um, and I was trying to speak to some people, but they noticed my kind of slightly English twang in the Arabic. And they're like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, geez, okay, run. 
Um, I was like, oh, you know. I'm, Radistan. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> and a part of me wanted to say Pakistan, and I thought, could I get away with it? I was like, no, let's not even go there. This is not good. Um, and I remember, like, going into one of the streets, and there was a, like, blockade. And I thought, okay. And then all of a sudden, people were running. I thought, why are they running towards me? And that was it. I, I couldn't see. Um Basically, they were throwing tear gas and shooting uh, rubber bullets in the air to, to make sure that the protesters wouldn't get in the street. And it was horrible. Oh, so you were in the tear gas? You were... Yeah, uh, I got hit by the tear gas um, and I just couldn't see anything. I was like stumbling, uh, stumbling. So I kind of like managed to stay close to the buildings, the shop fronts. What, what does it feel like? It's, it tastes really bad. Um, it tastes like a burst of a smoke bubble filled with nail varnish remover and it hits the back of your throat. What it feels oh, wow. like on the eyes, it, it just burns. It, it, there's no other sensation, but it burns your eyelashes and your eyes. It just feels, it burns your eyelashes. Yeah, it just stings. It just permanently stings. It just burns. It's wow. like your eyel- eyelids are burning up. And then you're just constantly streaming with tears. It's like, oh, God. Um, But inhaling that stuff is really – I found that the inhaling was worse. Luckily, there were loads of – because, you know, the protests were going on for so long, for about a year, people knew, like, what the antidote was. So they were spraying, like – they had, like, these little flash bottles um, filled with water and I think onion, um, ground onion water. And they were spraying it on your eyes, yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, you stink of onions, but I mean, it, it just like, it makes you hungry, <laughs> if anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and a side of chips. Yeah, I was right. like, yeah, yeah, I could really murder a shawarma right now. Um, <laughs> well, at least they're not throwing chilli sauce in your, in your eyes. You yeah, know, exactly. Onion water. Onion yeah, water's fine. Yeah. I mean, it did, uh, it was, it was an experience. I got a lot of I got into a lot of trouble with my partner, her mum, her dad. Uh, what do you think you're doing? You're our responsibility. So I wanted a good story. <laughs> and it was like, you can get a good story from your laptop. Um, and when my CEO found out, I told one person at my company um, and she went and went to my CEO straight away. So as soon as I came in with like really red eyes and coughing, he was like, stop doing this shit um he was like look you are my responsibility i want you to stay safe i don't want you to you know i don't want to send your send you home in a body bag your mom and dad are gonna kill me it's like fair enough okay he was like just go with the guys at work i was like okay he says i know who you talk to i know who your friends are i will put a word in and let them know when they're going if you're interested in the story to take you with them I was like, okay, I'm happy with that. That's fine. So, yeah, it was all fun and games. My God. So how long are you out here, out out in Egypt for now? Um, Three years. Three years. Oh, wow. wow. I kind of, I love, don't get me wrong, I love the country. I really love the food. I loved everything about it. But I don't know if you ever feel like this, where, you know, London... The UK is your home, but you still feel an element that you don't belong in certain circles. So you're still trying to navigate and find yourself. 
even though I felt really comfortable there, I started to feel like an outsider because people saw me as a foreigner. Uh, so, and some people were like, oh, you're here to steal our men. I was like, oh, God, in my head, I'd be thinking, actually, it's the women. Hey, you got Wasim. Um, you got Wasim waiting for you back home. You don't need them. Uh, <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, so there were just constantly like, speculations. <laughs> there were a lot of speculations. Um, whether I'm here to steal Egyptian men, I'm like, I'm sorry, but have you seen the Egyptian men that we work with? No, I'm sorry, but no. Um, so, yeah, they were just speculating. They they were questioning why I was in their country. Um, they thought I was trying to westernise their, their Islamicness um, and basically corrupt them. They thought, basically, they just thought I was some kind of concubine trying to lure men uh, into my Western ways. It was really bizarre. Like they would ask me, do you do you have men over in your apartment? I'm like, what? No. My landlord. Really? Yeah, my landlord comes in and does repairs, but that's about it. Because you're not allowed to uh, when you do when you when a single woman lives on her own, you have to leave the front door open. Uh when you're having What to your to your apartment, yeah. So if, if my landlord lord was in the house doing repairs, I'd have to leave the front door open and stand by the door. Just so that people. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. I had a a, a male, yeah, visitor. Yeah, which I found really weird because I thought we don't even do that in Pakistan. Um, So yeah, it was a bit odd. Yeah. Okay. So 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 then what happened? Um, I kind of got fed up. Uh, I really missed home. I really missed my family. Um, my partner at the time, we weren't in a good place. Um, so I just kind of wanted to, I wanted to go back to some familiarity. So I resigned and I was like, I think my time here in Egypt is done. And especially I started noticing protests happening really close to my, my house, my, my apartment. Um, from my balcony, I could see like the really like religious uh, university. I could see things on fire and stuff. And I thought, this is far too close. Um, it's really close to me in my house. I was like, this is going to cause problems. And with me being British, I didn't want anything to happen. So I didn't want to risk it. So I decided to just pack up and leave. Um, yeah. And I came back and shortly I'd say uh, trying to get used to living with my mom again after having so much freedom, it was really difficult. Um, because yeah my mum became really militant uh, she was like you've changed I was like I've grown not changed I was like you can't control me anymore um so we I, I basically was job hunting like crazy when I came back I did go through like a bit of a bit of a bump here and there um because I couldn't find work uh and people weren't impressed or didn't want to hire me because I worked for an an Egyptian agency, a create very creative agency. And uh, they're like, oh well, you know, you haven't got any British experience in the UK. Like, okay. Um, and then luckily I found a company in Surrey. So my sister was already living in London, so I kind of moved in with her and I, I started commuting to this agency in Surrey. Um, and in my first week I got attacked. <laughs> What do you mean? Got attacked? Um, so at the point, I was I was still veiled. 
and me and my uh, colleague went out for lunch and in the grounds it was like a church ground but you can walk through it and take a shortcut to different uh, parts so we were just like mulling around in the area having our lunch trying to find a bench somewhere quiet to eat and I walked past this elderly guy with a shovel and I heard him mumbling something and I thought is he talking to us and he was like and I heard him effing um effing and blinding so I thought sorry sir are you talking to me he's like and then that was it he let it rip and he was saying some very unsavory things to me telling me to go back where I came from asking me where I'm from and I was like I'm from here he's like no you're not look at the state of you um uh, and he just kept going and it took me a while I thought okay in my head when you're raised as Pakistani or Muslim or whatever, you're constantly told to respect your elders. So that's that was bubbling for me. And then I just erupted. So I gave as good as I got. I was like, look, you know, you can't say that to me. I was born here. Where are your parents from? Here. No, where are they really from? It was just a constant barrage of insults. Go back to your country. I was like, I am in my country. You stood there. There's an old old white man standing holding a shovel and he's shouting at you yeah. and you're just shouting back okay you're okay well he was, yeah. and y- your colleague is next to you is your colleague next to you she, or? and she was like sir calm down like so you can't say this so she was trying to uh, and then he said he was like oh um uh, then I just I basically just swore at him um which I'm not gonna say here um and uh I, I just I just told him to f off I was like, F you. He was like, you know, I wouldn't F you if you paid me. I was like, neither would I, you geriatric prick. And I just walked. (laughs) (laughs) I was, at that point, I was like, okay, I've maintained respect, you know, respectable for such a long time. I was like, now you're insulting my parents. Now you're insulting my religion. I'm not going to stand by and take this. And I think maybe in hindsight, whoever's going to be listening to this, maybe this was a stupid move. Maybe it was. But there's only so much in so many insults you can take um, before you erupt. I wasn't violent. I wasn't aggressive. I just had to voice my take and fight for myself. So we walked away and the only way, the other way was close. I had to walk past this guy again. And I was like, oh, oh no. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> so, so we walked past this guy uh, and then he started again. And then he came out, he dis- he detached the metal part of the shovel. So he was walking around with a stick. And he came up to me to the point that my colleague stood in the middle and he was like putting his arms, like pointing really aggressively over her shoulder to me. Um, and he was just telling me, you know, to shove the Quran where the sun doesn't shine. And I was like, look, will you just back off? I was like, I'm Christian. I was like, you can have your religion. You know, it's fine. Just why are you doing this? Go away. Just leave me alone. Just do what you're meant to be doing. F off. And he he kept moving closer. And I thought, okay, we're going to have to bolt because this guy's going to chase us. Obviously, we can outrun him, but he's holding a weapon. Um, so we kind of we walked back to the um, to the office, and there was I swear it was really bad timing another fellow Asian was walking past and the guy was like, you can F off back to your country. And he just carried on walking like it was normal behavior from this guy. And I thought, 
okay, like clearly he's ignoring it. And I was like, just just carry on shoveling. Just go away and shovel the shit that you're trying to shovel. Go away. So we went back to the office and I was, I think that point the adrenaline had left. So I was just constantly shaking. My whole body was shaking. Um, and I told my manager wasn't there. So I told one of the uh, account managers, she was like, you okay? You look really distressed. I was like, this happened. And they're like, okay, we need to report this to the police. I was like, yes, we really do. Um, and apparently, you know, uh, I, I reported it. I gave my statement. The really sweet policeman um, didn't want me to miss my train. So he gave me a ride to the station. Um, but he was, he was really appalled at the, the stuff that the guy was saying. Um, and then later I found out this wasn't his first offence. Apparently he's threatened people before, but CPS basically said that there's nothing they can do because he's so old. I was like, hold on, why not? Oh. Yeah. Because yeah. he's old. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. What's that got to do with anything? Like, this is his second offence. I was like, exactly. Like, surely you want to stop. They're like, oh, you know, it's not really that bad. I'm like, it is. Have you, if, if you've been on the firing line. So I was really disappointed. Um, and because I worked in the area, I did see him a lot. And um, like my colleagues found out about it and I was always protected by one of like my fellow colleagues and they were like really like big gym heads. Um, so often enough when we'd go to the pub for lunch, um, they'd be with us because it was just our kind of group and they're really tall um, kind of black guys and they they put their arm around me. They're like, is that him? I was like, yeah. So they'd just be like, stay away from this one. She's got our protection. So it was really sweet. But the guy would, yeah, that's nice. the guy would be really nervous when he'd see me with other coloured people. The fact that I was on my own with a fellow Caucasian girl, he thought he could scare me. It didn't. He, you know, he got a slap on the wrist by the police. But I think he, that was enough for me to say, you can't do this to me. And you're still veiled at this point, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Was. Wow. That's crazy. That is crazy. Okay. So, so, so that was the first and sort of last. Yes. Bit, bit of bit of abuse within within Surrey, I guess. Yeah. Thankfully. Yeah. Thankfully, it was. That was the only the only time. Um, but then you know the agency was going through changes. Um, you know, somebody was leaving every other week. So I, I you know, my creative director's basically told me that I wasn't safe and he doubted that I'd passed my probationary period. They extended it. I left um, because they were just making, they were just making a structural change. And I thought, okay, like it's not stable. I wasn't comfortable, but in the back of my head, I was like, I moved from Nottingham for this. Like I can't go back. Like this is a bit shameful that I've lost this job. I want to be in the industry. So it really did knock my confidence a bit when I, you know, when I wasn't in the industry, it took me a while to get back into it. Um, after that, I just kind of had a temp job for a bit. And um, I found a marketing agency that was interested. Uh, I joined them for a year and a half. And that wasn't the first incident. I think that was that what happened in Surrey was the first incident in a long line of incidents that were going to occur in my journey, um, my career. So when I joined this co marketing company, it was really cool, very small creative team. Um, but they said that, you know, 
they wanted to make really creative stuff. I was like, great, um, I'm in. That wasn't the case. Um, my management changed. So my marketing director was amazing. She was really sweet, really kind. And then she kind of left uh, myself, the other writer and the designer with the digital person, director. And there was something off about her. I don't, I don't know if my instincts were just like firing up every time I'd get near a house, like something really not right. Just couldn't put my finger on it. And, you know, shortly after I did find out, uh, we were planning this, uh, we were planning like loads of material for a Congress that was coming up and I was writing it, the materials I was like on the laptop constantly helping the designer come up with like name badges and stuff. And the managers just kept singling me out, the new digital director. And I thought, okay, I was doing interviews with like other colleagues in different departments and she would have to sit in the meetings and she would always chime in and just be like, oh, look at Aisha, you're really confused. Look at that puppy dog eye uh, face. I'm like, what? Like, why are you trying to embarrass me here? I'm, I'm giving interviews. I'm taking notes. I don't know what my face looks like because I'm focusing. Oh, do you not know what that word means? And I was like, oh, my God, what is wrong with you? She would do this. In- Aren't you veiled at this point? How can she see your face if you're covered? Oh, no, no, she was face to face. Oh, no, at that point, I took my veil off when I started this job. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, so this was like a year <laughs> I was going to say. Um, God, she's Superman. She's got x-ray vision. Okay. <laughs> no, I was veiled. Like, I was covering my hair. My face was visible. Oh, I see. Okay. I okay. wasn't wearing, you know, um, what Boris calls the letterbox. Um, the le- okay, okay, okay. Uh, so, yeah. So, she was just constantly showing me up when I was doing these interviews with really senior members of staff. Um, and I was like, okay, something's not right. And she would single myself out and another fellow director. And I was like, okay, you're talking to me like rubbish. You're also talking to the other person of colour on this team really badly. And I thought, okay, like she would embarrass me on calls if we had like a, a call with the American team. Um, you know, if my laptop wasn't syncing uh, properly, I couldn't get on the call and she would make me get up in front of the office and sit in her chair while she's standing behind me. She would ask me, she would make me cancel. She knew I had plans. I was meeting a, um, a friend for dinner and, you know, I, I, I made sure that I was getting out on time. And she would make sure she would be giving me cleaning duties. And I was like, I'm a writer. Why oh. am I doing this? Oh, you need Cleaning? To- yeah. Cleaning? <laughs> What, cleaning what? Cleaning the marketing cupboard materials, tidying, emptying them out. No. Yeah. And I was like, there, there is a what? male writer on the team. Oh, he's got plans. I was like, you knew I had plans. Oh, is this going to be a problem for you? Do I need to tell you know, so-and-so? And I'm like, what? <sighs> and I was just like, wow. this is ridiculous. Like, I had to cancel my plans. I was, I was seething at this point because I really disliked her. And then we had this big bash. And um, we had like loads of NHS clients over and really like senior members of the NHS uh, trust. Uh, And (laughs) what happened was um, myself and a colleague who planned this event 
uh, and made sure the materials were there. We had like the banners set up properly, everything. We kind of like made sure that all the materials are proofread, everything was fine. And as things were winding down, we found a corner and we just sat there relaxing, like, oh, thank God, this, this event's over. We can relax now. And a different director came up to us. She was like the project manager of like putting everything together and the renovations. And she sat with us and she was telling us this story about her first job um, when she was a receptionist at a doctor's surgery. I was like, okay, don't know what, what the relevance is. And we were just having our snacks and stuff. And she just randomly says, oh, my manager um, used, uh, is Pakistani. I thought, oh, God, where's this going? And then she just started mimicking his native South Asian accent. And I was just... In front of you? I was just me and another co- colleague. And I was just... I, I just couldn't believe it. I thought, you're in, you're in your mid-50s how do you not know this isn't okay and as soon as she just left like she's like oh i've got mustache bye and my colleague just said to me i am so sorry i was like i don't don't know what to say i don't know how to process this (laughs) like how are you meant to process this um yeah it was really odd um and my 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 digital director didn't get any better like we had a really cool kind of working environment. You could work from a local coffee shop if you wanted to. You know, we didn't have to ask permission. As long as you were online on meetings, it's fine. That's what everybody was told. She basically stopped everyone working remotely. She didn't want us to work at coffee shops. Um, she kind of made sure that I was, she kept trying to reduce like my holidays she um she really wasn't happy when i took like three weeks leave off um and i got it approved by my director and she just kept rubbing it in you know i just i just taken three weeks off and i was like because I, I need a break in my head i wanted to say because of you but i didn't um she was just a menace the way she would talk to me and nobody nobody said anything nobody I think the only other person that did notice was the other fellow Asian and she was like are you okay she went in a bit hard with that um I had to present something and you know it took me a while to like make sure this presentation was tipped up um to present to the whole team and after everybody was praising the presentation that I did they were like it's really creative you've got some great ideas we can implement it and pitch it to the US team um you know we we can do this I was like great after that meeting, she was screaming at me. Everybody in the office, open plan office, could hear. And I was like, what's the problem? You didn't let me proof it. I was like, because I can proof it myself. You didn't ask. I says, you didn't check in. Why didn't you send it to me? I was like, because you didn't ask me to. You said, go away and do it. I did it. It wasn't up to my standard. I was like, you gave me the template. I'm using the correct template. I didn't see the problem. Um, I just... Basically, what I did is every time there was an incident with her, I wrote it down in my notepad and um, I documented it because I thought she's, I, it was, I would come home crying because of her, because it was just an emotional, it was psychologically 
wearing me out. Um, so I would just, uh, and I was, t- you know, I'd tell my sister, she was like, leave. I was like, it's not that easy. Like, we've got to move. I'm saving up for us to move out um, for the deposit. So it's not that easy. I was like, but this is what I'm dealing with. <laughs> you know, no one's got your back when, you know, there are three ethnic minorities in the company. Who's going to have your back? Whether we're the, we're the anomaly here. Um, and I just documented everything. And the day, the day before I wrote my grievance, we had a new director of the company. So what I did out of courtesy, I printed out my complaint, left it on her desk and uh, put a post-it note on top and just said, this is a complaint that I'll be submitting to HR upon me leaving. I wanted you to have a copy to investigate or to just have out of courtesy because I, I really like you, I respect you. And then I left, I left the company and um, I joined another creative agency um, and I got a call from this HR team and they asked me to come in and you know, discuss what was going on, had the HR meeting. HR will never support, in my experience, HR will, hasn't supported you know, someone that isn't a manager, that isn't a senior member of staff. Um, you know, the, the terms in this document after they interviewed people, it was almost like they watched too many terrorism films rallying. They were saying that Aisha was rallying people with her fundamental ways. I was like, fundamental what? rallying. Really? Yes. What? Yeah. They were using terms that you see in BB, the way BBC describes it, like a suicide bomber. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. And I just, I was so, they're like, oh, but you know, she, you know, she didn't imply it because you're brown. I was like, yes, because it's a microaggression. She's not going to say because you're, you know, a P word. Um, <laughs> I'm making you do this because you're below me. I was like, she's not going to say that, is she? Because that would ruin her career. Um, but just the way it was there. Uh, it was written in front of me. I was like, I'm going to contest this. I'm going to contest this part. This isn't how it happened. So they wanted me to explain my 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 side of the story. They were like, well, this isn't the story that we're getting. And then they just dismissed it. I was like, of course this was going to be the case, but at least I voiced it and made them uncomfortable. And like, she had the audacity. If Aisha had a problem with, you know, my my teaching or. Um, coaching ways she should have come to me um and I was like there's no way I could talk to you <laughs> yeah how, how so how how long was this period a year and a bit a year a year and three months. a year and a bit a year and three months because in many respects it almost feels like that is you know clearly a lot worse than you know when you contrast it with the crazy man yeah. with the shovel you know because there was a moment in time you kind of had you you said your piece and yeah and and it, as you say the microaggressions it's like a it's like a death by a thousand cuts yeah going back in time if you could go back in time what would you do differently i don't know I've, i have thought about this quite um and i thought what's what would the outcome be if i did actually address it straight away like you know you can't speak to me like this i i don't appreciate you talking to me like this um and even like my my director the the nice one 
who put her in charge of the team. She said, you know, if, if, if this person's out of line, come to me. So I went to her, I said, look, I feel like I'm being victimized by her. I'm feeling like I'm being singled out. You need to take it up with her. I was like, I thought you wanted us to come to you if there were issues. Um, you know, you're all adults. You should deal with it yourself. And I was like, okay. Um, so no, there wasn't. I don't think there is anything I could have done differently. In in your opinion, I'd just love to get your perspective on this selfishly. Do you think you were discriminated against because you were a Muslim foremost or because you were brown or because you're a female? Do you think there's an order to it? I think think there is an order. I think it was mostly because I was brown. I don't think it was because I was Muslim. I think it was because I was, you know, to the eye, I was brown. Because I was female, I was a threat to her because, you know... I have, I, I build relationships with everybody really easily. Um, and that's, I'm not bragging that like I can build a bond quite quickly in, uh, in agencies and with senior members of staff and I can have like a bit of banter with them. And I realized that people found her awkward and she would try joking with people. I, said, I don't think she liked that because I was quite easy to talk to. I had colleagues in senior positions and that they would come to me ask me how I am how my day was and I would check in on them and I don't think she was able to do this I do think it was more about me being brown and female because you know she 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 was the, the the chosen one she was elite because she was Caucasian because she was female you know uh, I don't know if she thought that if she had a better chance at building bonds with people yeah so this is going to be a real dumb question. We'll move on in a bit and we'll get on to your next, <laughs> your, your next horror story, no doubt. Apologise in advance if this is a really stupid question. <laughs> At any point, did you wish you were white? Yeah. I'm not going to lie about that. Yeah, I, I have thought about this many times. Um, and often, you know, in my younger days... I was called a coconut because I'm brown on the outside and I'm white on the inside. But I don't think I am anymore. Like people tell you, you know, you're a bit of a coconut. I can banter with you. I'm like, no, I'm not. I know a lot about my culture. I know about, a lot about where I come from. I speak all the languages, you know. Um, but yeah, there was a time where I thought it would be so much easier if I was white. Have you? Have you ever felt that? Yeah. Yeah, when I was younger. I've got a bad memory I can't remember what I had for lunch yesterday but yeah I, <laughs> looking back here's the thing right I mean I think most people who aren't white or anyone actually you don't look you're not looking at yourself 24 7 no. are you so when you're just around people you know you just assume you're all the same I don't look at anyone and judge them by you know the color or their hair or anything like that so when you know the moment somebody starts to sort of converse with you differently because all of a sudden you realize it's because you're brown you're not consciously thinking oh I'm brown I'm brown or I'm black or I'm white you know you're not conscious of it you're not looking at yourself so you know when you're I mean I you know i I was brought up in a predominantly white area. So I just assumed I was like everyone else. And I was like everyone else. The only difference was, you know, my my skin was 
browner than everyone else's. But I guess when you, you're sort of up against moments like yourself, blatant and it's obvious and it's, you know, it's in your face that, you know, it's because somebody's got an issue with you because of your colour and it, and it really hurts you, then yeah, of course you're like, God, this would never happen if I was white. You know, why can't I be white? But it was when I was much, much younger. And I think, as you say, as you start building, you start becoming more, what's the right word? Comfortable is probably not the right word, but just a little bit more aware of your own identity. Because identity is a big thing, yes. right? I think that's, a, that's probably an episode in its own right, just talking about identity. And you sort of look at, you know, the world of social media today of like, well, how do people define their own identity it's it's a, it's a thing that probably a lot of people struggle with so it's a long yes yes at c- certain points I did in my life but much 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 younger when I was really sort of struggling to work out who I was I mean you know it's, it's that <laughs> you've sort of mentioned it already you know somebody goes where were you from <sighs> and you go well, I'm from Yorkshire or I'm from wherever and they're like no but where are you really from yeah. And you're there going, um, here? And where are your parents from? <laughs> and, then you're, and then, you know, in some cases, people will go, well, my parents are from here. In my case, my parents are from Africa. So if anyone asks my parents where they're from, they go, Africa. But they're not, they don't look, they're not black. They look like me. They look like they come, they come from India. And then I know, but, but where, where were your parents, where were their parents from? And they're like, well, there were two generations Africa. So they go, Africa. And they go, no, 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 but, but before that. And then they go, oh, well, India. <laughs> so they're going oh so you know you kind of but i'm from here like i i've got an english accent and i watched eastenders growing up <laughs> and i i like fish and chips and so you know i'm i'm as i'm as british as you you know so anyway anyway yeah yes did you ever get the whole um oh your name's really exotic and beautiful where are you from as a conversation opener no, well, Aisha is a nice name and it's easy to, to pronounce. I, I get Shahid, so it's kind of, no one's ever said it's beautiful. I mean, <laughs> most people are like, how do you say that? And I'm like, I'll oh, just call me whatever. It's fine. Like, well, you know, whatever. Aisha, it's not easy yeah. to say. Do you know how many variations of my name I've had butchered? I've had Isha, Asia, Aisha. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> do you know on my dating apps before when I was single, do you know how I spelt my names so that the common person would understand how to pronounce it i wrote it phonetically e-y-e dash s-h-a oh wow oh, did yeah. you oh wow uh, i don't know i thought i thought i thought aisha's quite easy but anyway my, my sister's called aisha so maybe that's and why brown it's easy for you to pronounce oh, i don't know i'm, I'm i mean you, you you call yourself a coconut i mean i'm a i'm a coconut too if you're a coconut so you know no, that's cool. Okay, wow. Well, sorry, we sort of digressed as we tend to on these things. But no, thank. I yeah, thanks for answering that because I've never asked any other person of color. Like, did you at any point did you ever wish you were white? Because it's it's a little bit <laughs> just asking that is slightly controversial, yes. you know. But I guess it's a question that we've we probably all asked ourselves at some point. And, and if we're honest, yeah, we probably all said yeah at a certain point. But I think it's important to address it um, because it shows that you've grown from that uh, as a person and your identity is not something that you should hide really. Mm, yeah, totally, totally. So you escape this um, this awful place as, as a sort of writer and part-time cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> HR have totally disregarded your your version of events, but it's okay because you're in a new place yeah, now, right? Yeah, I am. Um, the, the, the agency that I joined was really creative, really cool, lovely people. Like I made friends for life. 
um, at this agency. Um, and I loved everything that I did, bar the non-pitches that I was working on. So my day-to-day stuff, when, when I was interviewed, you know, they were saying, oh, you know, you're going to be working on all the pitches. I was like, oh, great, fantastic. Um, and then, you know, that didn't happen. Um, and as a writer, when you get hired as a writer, you expect to write, not copy and paste. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was just copy and pasting from like, you know, a different a different version of the same document that they wanted updated, you know, just update the job code, date of prep, and we're done. I'm like, oh, God. And every time I tried injecting something new, no, we can't do that. You know, the clients approved this to copy. So it was a battle in itself to kind of like push them to be a bit creative. But I was really good friends with um, creative directors. And he was asking me, like, are you happy? I was like, not 100%. You know, I would. I wish I was working on other brands, not just given this one, because it's just all copy and paste. And he was like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm going to try and change that. But, you know, is there anything else? I was like, I just want to do great work. I want to do award-winning concepts. I want to I wanna do fantastic stuff. You know, I've got a voice. I want to use it to promote my work and do great work for you. Um, and it didn't happen. Uh, I... I was getting really bored with just copy and pasting. I was getting bored with battling through this and trying to trying to show my worth, trying to come up with creative ideas and it just getting shot down uh, constantly. I was like, no, no, stick to what we've already done. Um, so, yeah, I, I wasn't writing and because of I wasn't writing, I wasn't happy. Uh, so I left. Um, I left after six months. And that's, you know, uh, I took a bit of a break. I went to, uh, I went traveling to Australia to, um, to be with my partner at the time. And then I came back and freelanced for a while. Your next, another partner in Australia. Yeah. So, um, while I was in Egypt, shortly after I returned back to the UK, um, my ex and I broke up, uh, the Egyptian partner. So it took me a while to get back into the dating side of things. Um, but I met someone from Australia. And were they were they Muslim or no? Um, she was born in China. Oh, Chinese. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh cool. Yeah, so she was a Chinese native, but um, yeah. So I took a break, went to Australia to visit her. Um, you know, did some sightseeing and just to relax because I think I was burnt out from just constantly trying to pitch new ideas. To, and just not getting anywhere with like, you know, how about we do this different? And I thought, no, okay, I need a break, need to come back refreshed. Um, and yeah, I came back, I was there for about three weeks and then I came back, uh, I bagged a freelance uh, job uh, and it was really cool. Um, I was actually doing creative work, which I was really happy about. And I was hired for three months at, at the time uh, I was doing this pitch. They want, you know, internal campaign. They wanted to have like a host of people internally, um, the reps coming into one place. So we chose Milan. We started branding the app. We came up with the app ideas. I wrote all the emails, the materials, what it, what the decals were going to say at this this factory that we were ready to hire out. Everything. Um, <laughs> what the idea was 
to to get them to kind of like share their best practices how that they were going to engage with each other from different countries so we planned everything out and uh, right at the end just as you know my manager was sending us emails saying you know make sure your passports are up to date you know next month we're going to be flying out so we need to prep everything um and then we get an email from the client she didn't get approval from her managers uh, her manager to to get you know the reps from various countries worldwide um to come together for three days to milan and dos um so the whole thing got cancelled <laughs> oh standard <laughs> yeah so yeah so that got canned um and i stayed they extended it because they put me on other projects and it was fine um it was they it was a bit of an uncomfortable environment um as summer started kicking in i noticed that the md was a little bit creepy he had a creepy gaze um when it came to summer women's summer attire um yeah and so yeah he was a bit of a creep he would say really really unusual things and randomly start a conversation about Sarah Cox or something silly, uh, like she's showing so much leg. And I'm like, it's a knee length dress. That's not so much leg. Why are you talking to me about this? It's just random conversations. Half the time you'd be catching him looking down your shirt when you're not aware that, you know, you're wearing a standard, a standard V-neck shirt or how there's nothing to see. But this guy somehow manages to, his gaze goes everywhere. It's almost like Tom and Jerry, the eyes popping out. <laughs> but you, <laughs> but you're you're still in veiled, no, no, right? No, still, still no, at this no, point. No, I stopped um, being veiled at the marketing company with the HR. Oh, okay, okay. okay. So I wasn't veiled okay. at this point. Um, okay, so you felt that he was eyeing you up women, as not, well. Yeah. All, all the women. Okay. Um, so yeah. Out of interest, so what? In like, how did it feel? You know kind of just wearing clothes like everyone else was wearing you know what was there a difference in in how you felt do you think you noticed maybe people looking at you in a way that they previously hadn't do you know what I've never that was the first time that I felt like somebody was objectifying me and I think when I was veiled I didn't notice it because obviously what's there to see there's a woman with a veil on and a big baggy dress there's nothing, you know, there's nothing to see. Because I, I would have my cool attire underneath that dress. So when I'd go to see friends, I'd take the dress off, take the veil off, and I'd be chilling like a normal person in normal attire. Um, so having, being objectified by him in that way, it freaked me out. And I did think, I was like, oh, this would never happen if I was failed. Um, I was free, don't get me wrong, I felt free and I was comfortable wearing what I was wearing. It just, I just didn't like his creepy gaze. I was like, dude, like, you're old enough to meet my dad. Like, look at your wife like this, I'm sure she'd appreciate it. Did you feel that people spoke to you differently? Yeah. Or was it the same? No. So they would, they would treat me like one of the guys because I was gay. Um... So I think they thought, you know, she's she's got short hair. Um, she's on the border of being feminine or masculine, but I don't associate with that. I'm just, 
androgynous, I guess. Uh, I wear what I wear, bit of a Shoreditch hipster, even though I'm not from Shoreditch. Um, you know. <laughs> Most people from Shoreditch aren't from Shoreditch, <laughs> That's very true. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, the guys thought I was one of the lads and they were told, oh, yeah, you know, I was with this girl once. And I was like, mm, do I want to hear this? Um so you come at you're very open at this point I am open, about your sexuality. I'm open about my sexuality, but I'm not the kind of person to shove it in people's face. Like I'm, you know, I'm not the typical Soho gay that just constantly I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay. Like, yeah, I am. Only gay in the village. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I am gay. It's apparent. Yeah. I don't need to say it. I don't need to broadcast it. I don't need to share my my life with you. Um Yeah. But you didn't have like, you know, like Wasim's coming up to you and just, you know, trying to ask you out or whatever. It was, you were just quite, well, no, I'm not interested. I don't do guys. Thanks, oh, but no yeah. Thanks. I mean, one of the IT guys yeah, okay. was like being a bit overly friendly. I'm like, no, mate, nothing. Like, I'm not interested. Um, but no, it was fine. Okay, cool. So you're at this party, you've got this, you know, this sort of ogling eyed um, MD and it's pretty awful. Oh, yeah. I mean, he basically, um, he, the company went bust, the agency that I worked for. So because I was freelance, they, they kept me on for longer to make sure the projects were finished. And then they started moving uh, the permanent members of staff. So my creative director left. Um, he left and went to another company, but within the same kind of group. So they were just kind of just getting repositioned to different companies uh, within the group, agencies within the group. So he, the MD kept me for about a couple of weeks longer to finish a project and another art director, junior art director, and one account person. It was just the three of us. Then the account person left. Then the art director left. And it was just me and the creepy MD. Um, and he would just talk to me about women or he would describe certain women as tarty um, and a bit wrong. And I was like, oh, God, why are you having this conversation with me? So there was one time on my last day, I was wearing like, I was just wearing like, just like harem pants and, and a kind of like a shirt, a T-shirt. And the, neck, the neckline I was really conscious about, so I just kept pulling it from the back so that it would go and hit my neck because he was coming up towards me. And he just kept moving really close. I was like, you don't need to stand this close. Um, and he was talking about some celebrity who he met at some party. And, you know, her, he, you know, he described it as having her, you know, her boobs out. And then he tried Googling the picture of what she wore on that this particular night. He was like, look, look, don't you think this is um, this is disgusting? I was like, well, it's normal. Like, why are you judging her for wearing her wear whatever she wants? And he kept moving closer. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know. Like, do you know when you just sense something could go very, go pear-shaped at any moment? So I kind of started moving out of the blind spot of the cameras. And I started moving to where the beam, uh, where the camera was shining. I was like, okay, yeah, so look, yeah, uh, it's, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, thank you for this very odd but entertaining conversation. And he was like, oh, you know, stay in touch. I'll add you on LinkedIn. I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and then I just ignored his invite on LinkedIn as soon as I left the company. <laughs> it was 
I mean, I, I did have a conversation with a fellow colleague that had left and she was like, are you, she was constantly checking up on me saying, are you okay? Is he being creepy? Don't let him get too close. I don't think he'd do anything. I was like, it's just me and him. She was like, you know, just give me advice. Like, don't, don't let him, don't stay too late with him. I was like, I know it's fine. Don't worry. Um, so yeah. I mean, after because I was freelancing, my contract ended, and then a week later, I joined a permanent. Um, I got a permanent contract um, with an advertising agency, um, and I thought it was going to be quite entertaining, and it was. You know, I, again, I made friends for life there. Very small agency, I'd say about twelve people. Um, okay. Really small, independent. Um, like I really love. So it's still healthcare, yeah. right? It's still healthcare. Still pharma yeah. advertising. This is small but creative. Great. And I got on with the, one of the uh, creative directors. He's a bit of a gamer, so we would constantly chat about PlayStation games that are out and exchanging games and horror films and stuff. Um, and the week that I joined was the summer party, and I was getting to know people. I was getting to know the art director that they paired me up with, who is now my um ex-work wife she's a really good mate of mine um so at the summer party all the girls kind of sat on one table and left me with a freelance art director and the both male creative directors and there were where the, one of the creative directors was getting a bit merry um and i think i was like i wasn't merry i had a, i had had a drink um, and he was like, you know, um, saying some truths that I wish he didn't tell me in my first week. This was my third day. And he was saying how he didn't know whether to hire me um, because I'm Muslim and he's Jewish and because of the history. No. Politics. Yeah. What? Yeah. And I just didn't know how to process this. And I thought this is going to be the start of many comments like this, isn't it? And I thought, okay, benefit of the doubt, you know, pursue. I was like, well, and then I just told them, I said, well, you shouldn't do that. I, I treat people on a human basis. If you're a good human, if you're a good person to me, I'll, I'll treat you with respect and the same. It's nothing to do with politics or, you know, histories of um, Palestine and Israel. It's got nothing to do with that. Um, so he's like, oh, I'm glad. I hope I didn't. Um, say anything untoward. I was like, no, it's fine. And but his his business partner, the other creative director, he's like, you can't say that. You 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 shouldn't be saying this. It's you, it's offensive. Um, I should. I'm, I apologize on his behalf. I was like, no, it's fine. I was like, clearly he needed to say that um, and turn this awkward. So I gave as good as I got. Um, so yeah, it just didn't get any better after that. And then he would ask me random things or tr try and provoke me. Like at Halloween, um, I had a an appointment and my colleague told me like after a few hours when I came back to the office, um, he made some comment about he, what he's going to come in as for the Halloween party. And I was like, oh, cool. What did he say? He said, She's like, I don't think you're going to want to know the answer. But what? And there's all oh, he's gonna come in with a, a long dress and a beard, um, because that's how paedophiles are dressed. And I was like, 
What's that? What do you Basically, mean? Muslim, uh, terrorist Muslim. Basically, I think this was when uh, you know the Rotherham case was up in the media. Um, so yeah, I was like, why? Why is he trying to? I was like, he's like, you know, I've got to look Muslim. Um, so yeah, I'm going to come in as a pedo. It's like, oh god. Um, yeah. He, and did, is that what he dressed up as? No, then? he didn't dress up as anything. But his real face is just as scary. So I'd see that's a costume. <laughs> Wow. Wow, my God. Yeah, I mean, there were a few microaggressions. Like, he was shocked at where I was living. I was living in West London at the time. And he was like, you live there? I'm like, yeah, why? He was like, isn't it a bit too? I was like, what? He was like, it's just a very nice area. I was like, what? So you think I, I shouldn't be able to afford to live in this area? He's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. I says, then what were you saying? And then, you know, his... Uh, his CD, uh, sorry, his business partner was like, what are you saying? And if you are trying to say what you're insinuating, stop right there. Um, he made some horrible comments, just trying to provoke me. Um, we had at the office next door was giving uh, their paintings, giving their paintings away. Um, so I picked this kind of like Kandinsky and uh, one of my colleagues picked this, I don't know what it was actually, it was just, you know, a bit of blue, yellow and red. And we were like, which way up is it? Like, how, how is it the blue, the top, the sky? So we were just having like a little natter. And then I, I always knew when he was going to say something aimed at me because he'd stop outside his office and smile, have this grin and stare at me. And I was like, oh, God. So I just turned around and started tapping away on my keyboard and then he's like oh uh, Matt I know I know what that is um that's that's the sky the red part is the blood um sorry the orange so the yellow part is the sand and the red part is the blood spilling of the dead Syrians I was like why would you say that why um and I was like yeah, yeah, I, I would be like actually no. Um, I think it's the the blood of um, pa- the dead Palestinians that Israeli forces killed, that IDF killed. And he 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 said to me, "You can't say that." I was like, "You can't say what you said and not expect something to be said back." I was like, "Stop trying to provoke me. You're trying to get under my skin. Stop it. Like we're colleagues. Just bloody behave yourself." He was like, I'm joking. You can't take a joke. I was like, that's not a joke. You're really trying to push me. He was constantly trying to know, you know, who I voted for, what my political stance is, all this stuff. Really? Yeah. Why? Because I don't know. I really don't know. I think to know whether he likes me for my politics or not, I don't know. But he would do that with everybody just to see what just to like have one up on them. Like, oh, you voted them, did you? Of course you did. You look like the sort. This is, um, yeah, I mean, this is biz- bizarre, isn't it? But maybe it isn't bizarre. Maybe this is the norm. But I mean, you know, where we are in this journey, we've sort of, you know, we've bounced around a few places. And is this just now the norm for you? Is this still shocking for you? That, that I think, was the most shocking um and I thought okay you know my next company's gonna be it I won't have to suffer but I did that's the thing it people just think it's okay to say certain things or to say really disgusting comments about my sexuality or assume that 
Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being promiscuous, but he would say some outrageous things. And I would say to his partner, who was also HR, like, look, can you control your man? Um, because he's asking me that if I've shagged loads of people on my weekend away, I went to get some zen, I went away to get a break. Oh, you can't say that. What a a lovely thing for HR to say. Yeah, I'm just I'm just sort of asking things that are popping in my my head. Like loads of things that pop in my head as you're you're sort of sharing this kind of crazy story. Do you think that you you would be hearing half of this stuff if you were still wearing the veil? I think it would be worse. I think if I was veiled, people would be trying harder to provoke me and get me out of companies. I don't know if there's a wrong or right answer, but that's how. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's just your. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was just a question because I guess I don't know. One one side because I play devil's advocate with myself all the time. So I guess you, yeah, it could be both. I guess because arguably you could say, well, if she was in the veil, maybe I would sort of you know I, I would know where the boundary is in terms of you know the language that I use. But maybe yeah. But then you've got your perspective, the other perspective, which is well, actually, it's pretty obvious of like who you are and where you're coming from, and you know, I think nine eleven did change. Um, how how you know Muslims were treated and still are treated to an extent. You know, it changed the world. And then you've got the other side where it's like, well, maybe you know the fact that you weren't in a veil and you were kind of in more Western dress, you were now kind of like you know one of one of the lads or one of the gangs, and you could they could sort of just sort of do the banter but kind of go beyond and almost like sort of push it because they know that well you know she go down the pub you know, really stepping over the mark, but um, doing that because you're sort of, you know, like them in terms of how you dress. I don't know. I'm just spitballing that perspective. I think, right, if it was me, um, because of the personality that I have, you know, I'm still easygoing. I'm still talking to everybody. I still befriend people easily and I get my work done to the highest standard every time. I, I And I know... If I was failed in doing this with my personality, they'd still say the same thing. If I think because there's a common misconception, if you're failed, you don't have a personality, you're dry, you're conservative, you're modest, you're you're going to be very sensitive. You know, you're not going to want to shake hands. You're not going to want to have talk to guys. You're going to be lowering your gaze. So whatever they read in the media or have an, a basic understanding of Islam, they're going to throw those misconceptions at you and assume that you're like this person. So when when I was failed and I was working at companies, they were surprised because they were like, oh, you've got a personality. I was like, yeah, thanks. You don't. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, hmm, uh, you know, why, why would you say that? Why do you, I just thought, you know, you'd be a bit more reserved, you know, your lot. I'm like, oh, great, okay. Um, God. Oh, my God. So how long are you at this place for um, A year. So I was the last hire and they made me redundant. So I was back on the freelance um, freelance thing. So I managed to get uh, get another contract actually up the road from them. And I was there for almost two years uh, with the com- next company. I, I really liked it. The work was actually all right. Um, I was involved in all the pitches. 
Um, it was the first company I've been at where your CDs were trying to steal your ideas as their own. I've never come across that. Really? Yeah. Um, and I remember like, when we were doing a pitch, one of the senior art directors like, don't share your, your ideas. I'm like, with? She was like, only share it with the art director that you're paired with. I was like, why? Oh, they stole, you know, they'll steal the ideas. I'm like, oh, God, I can't get away from this. And there's only so much research you can do before you accept a contract. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I heard good things about this agency and it was good bar certain individuals um <laughs> the i went there. so one of my creative directors i sensed that there was something up um and he was lovely at the time but i thought he's one of those characters that you've got to keep your eye on because he could change very quickly quite rapidly what do you mean what do you mean what do you mean okay, by that? so you know i I can sense when someone could be potentially racist. I just get a vibe. And yeah, yeah, 100%, yeah, yeah. I trust my instincts all the time because yeah. they've never steered me wrong. They've never proved me wrong. So I could see that. I could feel it in the interview, when, the way he was asking questions, the way he was quite the bravado. And I thought, oh, sugar. I was like, it's fine. There's two art, creative directors here. I'll just kind of uh, be closer to the other one probably fine um and we were fine like we got along and you know every friday we would uh, you know the creative team the account team we'd all get together go to the pub have a natter get to know each other and he was fine um i'd say fast forward a year and he was he was getting a bit arsy we had a pitch and it was a really convoluted brief. Uh, I'm sure you know uh, when you get a really fluffy brief, it's really hard to kind of drive down the concept and the content that you're going to write. So it was really convoluted. So it was like everybody was trying to pit each other, put pitch, sorry, pit us against one another. So because I was on his team, there was an art director and another senior head of copy that was on this guy's team. And then you had two writers and two art directors on the female creative director's team. And she would come to us and say, oh, you know, they've changed the, uh, the brief a little bit. Now we're focusing on using any photography we don't have to use the campaign photography we're like okay great we'll just go through the imagery that they've got and see what we can do but that wasn't the case um and often enough my creative director would disappear um so when we'd have a pitch he'd call in sick and work on his stuff um in silo um just so that he can try and get his idea sold uh, into the meeting to the accounts team. So we, we, you know, one of the junior guys did a really good job. He wrote a really nice headline and kind of just turned the image in a really emotive way, made it black and white. So it was quite monochrome, really nice. He did a good job. Um, and instead of praising him, so when they went to pitch it, um, they, the team came back and my, my creative director was there and we were all praising the junior writer. We're like, he did a good job. And my, my creative director was like really berating him. I was like, look, 
you're our creative director. We come to you so that we can learn from you. Don't don't say mean things about him um, because you know you're our source of learning and knowledge. Don't berate him. Just give him a pat on the back and say, "Do you know what, mate? You did a good job." Well, it's not that hard. Um, I was like, that brief was really hard to crack. None of us came up with good ideas. Not you, not me. None of us did. But his idea went in. He took that as me being really rude and offensive. Um, so my head of copy grabbed me, pulled me to say, he's like, what the, you know, what the F do you think you're doing? I was like, what are you talking about? I was having a calm conversation. Um, he's like, you can't say that. He's going he's gonna to blacklist you in the industry. I'm like, what? He was like, go apologize. Go apologize to him right now. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, let's go for a cigarette. Yeah, go apologize. He, um, he's going to make it very hard for you in this company. Uh, I was like, okay. Um, so I was like, look, you know, I didn't, I wasn't trying to single you out. Um, I didn't mean any disrespect. He's like, no, no, what I'm saying. He says, you know, I've had problems. I suffer from mental health. I said, nobody's saying that, disputing that it's got nothing to do with mental health. Um, so I'm just saying, you know, you're our mentor, you're, we learn from you so you can't say that you have to churn ideas consistently because it's impossible to do you can't always have award-winning ideas you have to brainstorm have some really crap ones which will then spur you you know it'll you'll it'll trigger something and like actually there's an idea in that and then you'll go and develop it again that says that's how it works um so i apologized to him everything was fine came back the next week and the next week he was something happened I can't remember what was in the news uh some Muslim terrorist was in the news um and he he came straight to my desk he still had his jacket on he was like one of your lot's been caught and he was really aggressive like I could tell he was angry and I thought, oh, God, I was like, what are you talking about? And he was just saying, you know, one of your lot's been caught. You know, we need to drag them. I said, well, MI5 apparently knew, you know, he was on the watch list. They should have surveilled him better. Um, and he basically, he was like, oh, we need to, you know, what we need to do. And he kept coming really close. And I was, I don't like people invading my personal space. I don't think anybody does. But he was, you know, he, do you know when someone's so angry there's a lot of spittle in their speech. <laughs> I was getting showered. Um, and he was just coming really close and getting his tone was changing. I could see his body language changing. His fists were clenched. And I thought, oh, shit. Um, I was like, look, he said, we need to get their moms. How about that? How do you feel? How do you feel about that? And I thought, what is going on? You know, what is happening? Um, and I was trying to kind of diffuse the situation. And I was like, look, well, it's whatever. I'm not interested. And he just kept saying the same line, oh, well, you know, we should get their mothers here. What do you think about that? So I said, sure, whatever. And I said, to be honest, I says, had the Tories, you know, if I says, if we wanted to police the streets better, if they didn't make, if the government did make so many cuts in the police, um, then we'd have more people being able to surveil these people, won't they? And then he saw that as a threat. Like, how dare 
I criticise the Tories. I was like, it's it's an it's a statement. I'm not criticising. I'm just saying, you know, had they not made certain cuts, there'd be more police on the street to manage this situation. And he just kept coming in, and I was kind of like sinking in my chair, and I thought he's going to smack me. And I was like, what's everyone else doing around you? One guy, one guy who was his, who was like a fan. Uh, he was fangirling after this creative director. He was just watching and because he, they were talking to each other. He was like, oh, she thinks if the Tories are to blame for this terrorist guy, no, it's one of your lot. And I was like, oh, Jesus. I was like, okay, fine. Yeah, it's one of my lot. Like, go away now. Um, and uh, do you know how we always say, like, pick and choose your battles? I didn't, I made sure that I didn't pick that one um, simply because I knew he, he was erratic. I knew he was too spontaneous. I knew, I knew that basically HR didn't do anything. He had a, he grabbed a black colleague of mine from in by the scruff of his collar and was ready to punch him. They had to a, a fellow colleague had to separate them from each other. He reported him to HR. Nothing got done. He didn't get a slap on the wrist. If anything. Um, he he basically picked on the guy even more. Nobody pays attention. Um, you know, people turn a blind eye. They just think, you know, it's him being unstable and threatening and being loud. Um, but after that, I just started job hunting like crazy and then be nice to him um, and not provoke him, not to poke the bear. I thought... And he said, he's openly said, you know, on drunken days, you know, when we go to the pub and stuff, when he's been a bit tipsy, um, that he's got no qualms in hitting a woman. Uh, so, yeah. Well, why would he say that I don't to know. you? He was talking about his uh, exes and he's like, you know, I would happily, you know, I've got no qualms in hitting a woman. And I was like, hmm, there were other women there. And I was like, surely you wouldn't. He says, no, I wouldn't. He says, but if if someone's provoking me, I would slap them. I'm like, oh, okay. And then it, it kind of turned into a joke uh, amongst the colleagues, like, oh, well, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't hit me because you love me. And I was like, I that, I mean, I was right uh, with my instincts, and I was careful. I chose to be careful around this guy. And he was nice to begin with. And I thought, do you know what? It, it's better to keep him close than keep him as an enemy and kind of like rule him out. Because he would, if he didn't like anyone, he would just torment them, just say stupid comments. So many times people like would uh, would say, I, I want to leave because he's just so annoying. He just keeps not harassing me. Um, I mean, he did make a comment at the Christmas party because um, I, I had gone on holiday uh, to Turkey. And I just got back and it was the day of the Christmas party. And several times that day, before we you know the party began and at the party on the dance floor, he was like, oh, um, don't talk to her. She's just come back from ISIS training. And one of my colleagues who was actually Asian, she was like, are you okay? I was like, I'm fine. I'm so used to it. I think at that point you kind of become tired and just... Uh, you you kind of give in into the feet of trying to fight this, and I think with him I was just exhausted. I was like, 
there's no point. What can I do? What is actually going to happen? If anything, I'm putting a target on my back. What, by by um, sticking yeah. up or for yourself? You think? Yeah. Um, if yeah. I was to report him, I know that without a doubt, I'd be I'd be targeted. So, God, I mean, this is this is you know sad. Obviously, it's 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 pretty horrendous. Do you did you not think things like the Me Too movement, you know, and also when things uh, like George Floyd happened in the in the sort of lived reality of yours, did you f- find anything changed for the better, or was it pretty much just you know business as usual nothing changed it was just all talk i think some people changed i think um the company that i was at um was trying to you know basically get in the ethnic minorities and to see what they had to say about diversity um and this creative director was you know asking me my opinions on you know black lives matter this kind of stuff and you know I was sharing my take on it and I was like, it's, it's the time for everyone to come out and share, share their experiences because it's, it's never been allowed, but people have gotten away with it. But there was a black colleague in our team um, and this creative director befriended him. Um, and, you know, he was constantly asking him and we were, I think there was a time where, they were they announced some redundancies in the creative departments that everyone had to go into the office and you know the creative people the, the senior members of staff were having a conversation about black lives matter and asking it our experiences and they were like you know well why didn't you feel the need to share share your why didn't you speak up and i'm like it's not about that it's not about speaking up it's about not having a platform that would support you to speak up I said, like, being in that situation, and, you know, the, guy, the, the black guy was saying, you know, Aisha's shared her experiences with me. We've had several conversations about it. Um, I'm sure you've often been ignored. I was like, yes, yes, that's exactly it. You, you get ignored or you have a target on your back. And it just makes life a lot more difficult. There's no career progression if you're going to do that because you're the problematic brown person. What would you, what would you like to say to you know to the to the woman you know the, you know who made you clean the cupboard uh, to to all the sort of like you know the guys that have made your life you know pretty horrific and said some you know pretty pretty outrageous un, unbelievably cruel things what would what would you like to say to them? Well, that's a tough one. To respect each other, I'm just you know. These people that are being hired with you, they're just human beings. Treat them as human beings. They're no different from you. They might have come from an underrepresented background, but you need to respect one another. That's just the human thing to do. And don't assume anything about their background. Don't make assumptions about their religion. Do your due diligence. Don't ask people about what they think on you know, being Pakistani or the terrorism, anything like that, or whether it's the black culture, do your own research. 
there are a lot of spaces out there where you can do your research. There are a lot of good places that will teach you about inclusivity and diversity. Don't come to the brown person or the black person or the Asian person, whatever, and ask these questions. That I find offensive. Yeah, it's a great answer. It's a great, it's a great response to that. The other sort of underlying question that I, you know, constantly be asking myself as you're talking is, <laughs> why are you still in it? <laughs> <laughs> like you, do you, do you regret not being the pharmacist? I mean, you know, how, what's keeping you, you know, keep in here? I love what I do, Shahid. I really love what I do. Um, I love writing for myself. I love writing for other companies. I like playing around with concepts. I just want to do create great work. That's all I want to do, and that's what's keeping me in here. That's why. You know, these experiences have kept me in the industry despite experiencing them because I'm going to succeed. And I I want them to know that I will carry on being this strong-willed woman and I will succeed. Why should I give up? When? Why don't they give up? (laughs) Amazing. Absolutely amazing. No, that's that's um, it's it's lovely because obviously you know you've shared some of the sort of the awfulness, but it's it's great that the passion is still there. The love for creativity is the thing that's driving you. And you know, I I think all of you know I could do this with a hundred or thousand people. You know, who who maybe have suffered discrimination like yourself, myself. I think a lot of people would be equally really shocked too. But the thing that keeps us all in this industry, no matter how bad things have been or are, it's the love for the work and it's the love for creativity and just constantly trying to sort of do the best and be the best. And yeah, so it's amazing. I might leave on a positive note to anyone out there that is experienced or has experienced anything like this, push forward. Don't let anybody crush your dreams or aspirations. Power through. You will get there. It's not easy. I'm not claiming that it's easy. I'm not professing it. It's going to be hard. It will be an uphill struggle. But if you've got the drive and the love for the craft that you have, keep going. Amazing. Amazing. So I think that's where we'll we'll conclude, Aisha. I just want to massively, massively thank you for sharing your story. This genuinely has been like the most phenomenal podcast recording this has been mind-blowing where, where can people find find you apart from linkedin do you want to give a shout out to your so, website um I'm, you can add me on instagram so my name is uh and i am releasing a blog soon um for the south asian community the underrepresented community to help with their sexuality so Keep an eye out. Add me on Instagram. Um, it's called Desi Dyke, um, the blog. So yeah, keep an eye out for it. It's going to be released in the coming weeks. Fantastic. Well, you let just let us know when it's out, and we'll we'll help promote that cool. for you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shahid. No, thank you. And if we seems listening out there, I hope you found <laughs> um, happiness with a partner and love. Until next time. <laughs> Take care. And as ever, if you do enjoy listening to these podcasts please do give us a rating and a review. 